This is The Dog Days with Ollie Scott, Junior Eldstar and Ian McKenzie. I'm changing up this time. Hello and welcome to The Dog Days. That's hello, hello, hello. I've changed my tone of voice. I normally, I've got sick of hearing myself going... You're normally more excited. Hello, I know, but I am excited. I'm really excited. Oh, fuck it. Hello! Uh, <laughs> welcome to... I don't even know what episode it is. 22 now, I think. 22, yeah. 22 of The Dog Days. Um, today, we are joined by Mr. Tal Shmueli. Um, which I've nailed the pronunciation of. Did he butcher it or was that? No, no, perfect. Flawless, yeah. flawless. My mum doesn't get it as good as he did. <laughs> but now we're going to say, can you come nearer to the mic? Yeah, I can hear that looks a little bit low. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Wanna, so yeah. I guess I'll, uh, I'll do a proper introduction now. Um, Tal has come to my attention, the dog day's attention, for a couple of reasons. One, because he belongs uh, at a company called Jolt, is the vi- uh, sorry vice president of Global Expansion, I believe. Correct. Um, of Jolt, which is an amazing business. I'll talk about that in a second because recently I've been involved a bit with those guys doing some stuff there. Um, but more uh, relevantly, I guess, to the dog days, you are the founder of a thing, a bizarre thing called Hack Methon. Um, and I'll just give a really quick, uh, brief description of what that is because it completely flipped how I thought about the world. You, you're in a job that was going really, really well and everything was going brilliantly for you and you decided to just jump out and go, right, I'm going to hack my life. I'm going to get everyone else that knows me around me and people that don't even know me into a focus group and essentially have a life intervention and change my life. Um, so we want to talk a lot about that because that's an amazing thing to have done. It's now a business. You now run this company called Hackmethon. Um, More than anything, it's a book and it's a methodology yeah. that I've made available for other people who'd want to leverage the platform. Not currently running anything. Just put it out there for other people to benefit from. Wow. Okay. All of the time goes wow. into getting jolt off the ground. Oh, so I thought, okay, in my head, I thought that must be a workshop that you do the whole time. So you can go like, okay, right, boom, here's a, here's a hackmethon for everyone. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's an idea. Maybe. <laughs> all right, well, look, without any further ado, take me through, take me through your life. Where did this all start and how on earth did you suddenly become into hacking your own world? I don't know that the listeners would want to hear the entire story. So <laughs> uh, I'll give a few snippets that I think might feed into the conversation later. First of all, thanks for having me. Mm. Uh, it's brilliant to talk about these topics. Before Joel, before everything, I had uh, my first experience as a, I don't even want to say entrepreneur, but my first thing was a blog called Balls. Uh, but not not balls, not balls, testicles. But, no, actually, yes, testicles. Oh, testicles. <laughs> yeah, and the idea was to uh, speak about masculinity in a way that hasn't been uh, spoken before in Israel. Uh, the logo was actually a guy carrying two eggs on his back, like hmm. Atlas carrying the weight of the world. Because wow, nice. I think being a man comes with a certain set of uh, responsibilities uh, and also hardships. Uh, so I tried getting this conversation going. It went pretty well for a while. So How long ago was this? Uh, this was in 2011, and it lasted all the way till 2014. I used to write one long-form post uh, a week, a thousand words every Saturday. Uh, it ate up my weekend, but it helped me understand what it means to build something from scratch. Mm. Well, just on this point, because we, we did a podcast around a term that I can't even use anymore, but it was toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. What Was it a similar thing, and how did you... How do you sort of talk about it then? Because it was very different then, I imagine. So I um, I served in the army, and you're going through the uh, through the life as an Israeli, and you're kind of geared towards certain things. From a very early age, you'd be asked like, "What do you need in the army? Would you want to serve in?" And and then once you do get into the army, people judge you according to where you served and the unit you've been, and da da da, and you kind of geared towards becoming this uh, stereotypical, archetypical uh, uh, man. And I finished the army and I didn't feel like I'm, I'm that person. I still have a lot of questions, loads of insecurities. And I'm like, hey, I've just done three years in a, in a, in a special uh, combat unit. Like, what's going on? Why am I not feeling as wholesome and as, as Rambo-esque as, <laughs> as I should have? So I started asking all these questions and I started watching Westerns again and figuring out <laughs> what, are those, uh, what are those themes that are kind of uh, interwoven into, into masculinity today. Um, Clint Eastwood just bowling around and like Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not speaking, just doing whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, zero, zero, uh, no, no, like basically doing whatever they want. So I looked into that and I couldn't find a, a current relevant um, role model as mm. a man, which was very weird. So I started writing about it. started as a writing exercise, turned into a blog. Um, so just a nice experience in exploring a topic I had very little uh, idea about. 
And um, I can't say, well, so many things have happened since, you know, uh, from, a, from a, the Me Too movement mm-hmm. to uh, dads protesting and, and paternity leaves and all sorts of stuff that have happened that have changed how men hopefully are being raised today that uh, hopefully in 10 this years time. We're gonna Just on that place. point, this is quite early on because I, I feel maybe we were quite blind to it for so long, but I... When the Me Too movement happened, I almost felt like the the new masculinity movement happened afterwards because the way I saw it was it, it wasn't very popular to be a man or it hasn't been for the last five years, 10, 15 years, right? Because quite rightly, there's been a movement for pro-femininity. And what I liked about the idea from what I understand from the new masculinity movement is you can be pro-feminine and you can be pro-men as well. Um, and what that's about is becoming more equal and being pro-new masculinity was the best thing I've, I've heard because I was like, oh, that's brilliant because not every man is this kind of brash, you know, hard, Rambo, almost emotionless, weird human. Men these days are thoughtful. They speak about their feelings and they're starting to become or adopt the feminine traits. Yeah. And therefore, when we just, when men in general, uh, particularly white men, um, get sort of brushed with this, tar of our oh, men are scum and, yeah. and women are great right. you're a privileged white man yeah it felt really it felt like i want to support all these movements but i feel like i'm i'm the evil person in the process yeah. Yeah. so i love the fact and i'm surprised to know that this was happening in 2011 yeah what kind of stuff were you writing about i'll tell you the stuff that made me stop writing okay <laughs> Interesting. um the one thing that made me stop writing is realizing that there was no dialogue happening i would say something i would try and ask a question or make a statement and I would constantly step on minds, saying their own thing, um, um, I don't know, uh, uh, leveraging my privilege, all sorts of things mm-hmm. I had no idea about. I wasn't part of that conversation. I wasn't part of any feminist group. I was very ignorant uh, in many things. And I found myself not being able to, to express myself in that area. I was just, I didn't know how to make a conversation around these topics. Um, you know, once you start saying, okay, so, so toxic masculinity, what is toxic? What is masculinity? And you'll go down this rabbit hole that I did not have the proper education, qualification or experience to discuss. So that was one thing I just felt inadequate. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that by speaking about these topics, I created a facade of uh, some sort of a, of, a, of a man that I wasn't. I am deeply, seriously flawed in many ways. And when people learned that I'm writing about this stuff, they expected a certain a certain person to show up. Mm. And when they met the real me, which was much less impressive than the one that I've been uh, uh, broadcasting through, uh, through long form, mm. I realized I don't want to feed into into that image anymore. I can't. I have to dial it down. Yeah. Wow. I'm, we had that. No, but we... we when we had a podcast talking about toxic masculinity, we always get a bit, I get scared talking about these topics because just because you're talking about something, it doesn't mean that you're professing that you are an expert in it. You're just curious to learn about it. Yeah. But people automatically, if you write something about toxic positivity, people have this preconceived idea that you're... You're that. You're that, like you're that person. But just that's something we have. Well, I was saying we had the a guy from Extinction Rebellion on last week and I told my friend this and I was like, oh, we, we had this amazing conversation. I learned so much about the environment. He was like, oh, mate, that's a plastic cup. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I don't <laughs> know the guy that's, you know, what the fuck? I'm learning, I'm, this is a pro, you know, this is the thing. By being on a quest of educating yourself, people can make it about them. Yeah. People can suddenly become a little yeah. bit threatened by the fact that you're learning new things so they want to challenge it. And they go, this masculinity thing that you're looking into why what makes you so special yeah. well nothing makes me special but i'm what i'm learning is is educating me in a certain way yeah. and i'm not saying i know more than anybody else or that i'm this thing that i'm educated i'm being educated on is better but i'm learning about something yeah. we have a lot to catch up on you know a lot mm. to catch up on things have happened parallel to the lives we were living and now shit had hit the fan and we need to catch up with i don't know new standards of uh, how men and women should behave around themselves around each other mm-hmm. so we need to catch up we need to be i think forgiving and as compassionate as possible when these dialogues are uh, taking place it didn't happen in 2011 i was writing stuff on the internet and i was being uh, and, and conversations weren't pleasant it wasn't the type of conversation that you feel safe in to ask questions and ponder and kind of go deeper into stuff you just want to be right like i don't know if you can say that but you want to be more right than the other person yes. rather than you know making a point or, or discovering something new anyway that's 2011 yeah. um that was straight after the army um i had a bunch of uh, dead-end jobs that didn't lead me anywhere not because they were bad jobs but because they didn't add up i did a lot of uh, work in education working with youth all sorts of uh, things like that they didn't add up 
um, I felt like my life won't passing in front of my eyes, you know, like if mm. I die tomorrow, like, like there's not a whole lot that will flash in front of me. <laughs> and I really wanted to change that. But uh, at that point, I, I never graduated high school and I didn't pursue higher education of any sort. So I had very little to show for. Um, very hard to get accepted as an intern in a creative agency when all you can say that you've done is throw grenades, hide in bushes, and build mud huts in the Israeli desert, yeah. which was more or less my qualifications, excluding 18 months of managing a record store, right? Mm -hmm. Not very employable. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I, I, was, uh, I, needed, I was determined to change that. Sending CVs, no traction at all. No one responding. No one is writing back. At one point, the first day, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting by the phone, like after a date for a phone call from one of those uh, agencies, nothing happens. I'm like, okay, enough is enough. Um, I see a, a blocked uh, caller ID calling. I'm like, that's my chance. My, my game face on, I pick up the phone and it is, uh, it's the bank. My uh, rent had bounced and I need to pay it really quickly. Uh, so it's either calling my dad. Hey dad, listen, uh, I need a couple of hundreds um, or doing something about it. I was determined not to call my dad, not because uh, I don't want to use them or I haven't used them in the past. I haven't. I probably will in the future. Mm. Uh, but I just felt like this isn't leading me anywhere. So I'm like, okay, can I say fuck? On yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Fuck so, it, yeah. Okay, okay. So I'll save, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll save it for later. Uh, <laughs> and like, what do I do? I googled the names of the 20 most senior people I could find in advertising in Israel. And I looked for their home addresses and I printed my cover letter, which basically said... Um, that I want a job and that I think I'm good with people. And I've taken my very lean CV and I've taken a recommendation for my boss in, a, in one of the youth programs. And I've put it in a big bright blue folder and I've uh, sent it to their homes via express mail, knowing that if I rejected, if I'm rejected, it's at least after they've touched my CV, they, mm. like they've seen yeah. that I've made the effort. And as you'd imagine, 20 out of the 20 CVs were uh, left uh, unanswered, never heard back. But... One day I do get a phone call. A couple of days after, hi Tal, my name is Komi. Um, I got your CV for someone else. Uh, would you like to come in for a conversation? I work for a company called Leo Burnett. I don't oh, know yeah. if you've heard of us, mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't by that point in time. I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. So for what position? She goes, no, 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 it's not, a, it's not an interview. It's a conversation. I'm like, okay. So I show up as if for an interview and this lady gave me 90 minutes of her day you know, busy advertising executive, and she took 90 minutes to get to know who I am, wow. what I care about, you know, why do I want to work in advertising? Do, that, do I have what it takes to succeed in her, uh, in her team? Why did you want to work in advertising? I have Haven't no you? idea. Oh. I think <laughs> I, at that point I saw Mad Men, yeah. mm -hmm. and I knew I have a, there's a, a creative part of me that uh, isn't, being, uh, isn't being really explored or leveraged, mm. and I wanted to work in a team. That's all I knew. Nice. I wanted one of those magnetic cards, and they seem to have big buildings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Literally, I was very clueless. My, my application was for the position of a copywriter, strategic planner, or account executive. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but she saw something else, and she gave me the chance. So she wow. took me on for an internship. Three years later, I graduated as, a, as an account supervisor, managing a, a portfolio of international brands, Samsung, Philip Morris, Procter & Gamble, or uh, past competitors, mm -hmm. uh, and a bunch of others. At that point, I also felt like we're not doing a, an amazing service for our clients digitally. Um, we needed to be taught. I wasn't digitally native. Uh, I grew up listening to music on a, on a Discman, and uh, this whole internet thing caught me by surprise, other than playing, I don't know, a, a Diablo on the Battle.net <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> that was uh, where my uh, digital savviness ended, and I wasn't giving my customers a very good service. So I switched to a, a more digital environment, a mobile advertising startup, classic uh, Tel Avivian story, 12 people in a, in a rundown house somewhere in Tel Aviv trying to make it happen. Uh, our uh, pitch deck, of course, said they're revolutionizing and changing the world yeah, yeah. and the whole thing. Uh, we had T-shirts. Uh, we had sad happy hours. Um, what was the name of the company? Happy hours. Sad happy hours where it's just like food in plastic cups and beers and everyone is pretending to live the life where all they want to do is go home. <laughs> sad happy hours. Have, you've never been to a sad happy hour? No. Oh, I must invite you to one. This sounds <laughs> like the worst. Why are you having them? Because 
that's another stereotype. Like this is what startups do. They have happy hours. They're doing beers on the job. It, and it wasn't they called them. sad happy hour. Oh right. It just was. A, You're it, just calling it a it sad. It was sad. Yeah, yeah. They oh, didn't. Right. They, they did not call it a sad. It was. Happy hour. Oh, it was supposed yeah. to be a happy hour, but it, it was sad. Yeah, I get it yeah. now. Yeah, Ian gets it. Okay. Good yeah. It seems like you've been to a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've hosted a few. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're in this um, 12-man television yeah. place. Had a had a complicated manager. Had to find a way out. My life won't really where I wanted them to be. A relationship falling apart, apartment is too small, can't, uh, can't really get to where I want to be professionally. You, you know, if you live long enough in one place, they get used to a certain type of you and they won't let you evolve yeah. beyond it. Mm-hmm. This is kind of how I felt. I needed a break. Um, managed to land a couple of interviews with companies in Berlin. Um, final stretch to a negotiation with the Germans. Hmm. Uh, the LinkedIn guy said, listen, if you want to apply, please. Uh, we have a position that might be suitable, but it means giving up on everything else because the process takes time. I figured, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, I'd rather work for uh, for a company like LinkedIn than uh, than just getting out of the country and uh, and uh, kind of opening opening a clean slate. Luckily, um, another crazy story, but I got the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened there is that they didn't realize I don't have any higher education. They saw that I attended the Open University, but it never said a graduate degree mm-hmm. or anything. So they assumed I have it. And then after the whole process, a few weeks of interviewing and presentations. Uh, there's a background check, three weeks. So I was going through everything. I had to send them pay slips from the past five years wow. and contact people from the first, uh, from the last, uh, uh, all of the last jobs I've been to. And after three weeks, they're supposed to call and say, yeah, everything's fine. But this call never came through. So on the fourth week, I'm already, I'm, I'm constipated. I'm not eating. I'm not <laughs> sleeping. Mentally, I've checked out of the work I'm already doing. Like, I'm yeah. ready to go. Yeah. And the phone isn't uh, isn't ringing. At one point, I couldn't take it anymore. I was canceling appointment with my therapist because I just, I was on, on, on like, I was, I was about to, to burst with anxiety. Yeah. So um, my life was on hold for four weeks. I'm like, I can't take it anymore. So I uh, pick up the phone and I called the recruiter that worked with me. I'm like, hi, Radi, it's Tal from Tel Aviv. Um, whatever it is, if it's a yes or if it's a no, like, just tell me. And um, luckily, she goes, Tal, Tal, it's a, it's a yes, but it's a close call. We didn't realize we don't have a, any education. It looked like a lie. I needed to do some investigation, but it's a yes. I can't speak now. Wow. Speak to you wow. later. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> like, what? Okay. A few months later, I'm already walking in LinkedIn. She's about to leave. So I'm taking her out for, like, goodbye drinks. And I'm like, Radi, how close was I to not getting the job? She goes, this fucking close. <laughs> I'm like, so what happened? She goes, well... Um, your manager thought that you were lying throughout your application about your education. I had to show him that you want, uh, but he didn't buy into it. I'm like, okay, so how come I got the job? She goes, I told him to trust me. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you know, you were a good candidate. Your interviews was good. Your presentations was good. We were hiring for that job for a long while. I told him that this one is on me, and luckily it, uh, you know, it what was the role? Out. Um, an account manager. Okay. So entry level, yeah, yeah. you know, customer services, but a big company and uh, just, you know, Terribly, terribly lucky through nothing I did. Yeah. Uh, so, so is it LinkedIn in Berlin? In uh, Dublin, actually. Oh, in Dublin. 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 Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. So then you moved up to, because we're getting to the point where you go, what the fuck? Yeah, we're, we're, nearly, we're, nearly in the, we're nearly now. Um, took on the role, mind blown. You know, corporations usually have a very negative image. You, know, you don't want to work for a corporation, a cubicle, da-da-da. LinkedIn uh, just uh, doesn't live up to those uh, stereotypes. Unbelievable company, unbelievable culture. No assholes at all. Mm. A super healthy work environment. But that said, it's a it's an aggressive company. It's a hungry company, very ambitious company, and you're surrounded by by people who are all of those things. Mm. So naturally, it's a competitive work environment. Healthy but competitive. Um, I remember one in one of my performance reviews. Um, I I rated myself as exceeded expectations in a certain element of the job, and my manager only said met expectations and for me this was outrageous what do you mean i've just <laughs> met exp- it felt like i'm f- like i'm failing mm. and he goes Tal, when you're working in a company like like linkedin at the pace and the scale we're working meeting expectations is a lot you know don't feel like you have to burden yourself with constantly exceeding expectations mm. um, it's okay to just meet expectations so it was that kind of healthy mm. um, so that happened progressed within the role progressed within the company and at one point, I was sitting with my manager, and she was asking me about my uh, my 12 months plan, and I showed her a presentation, and then she asked me about my 24 months plan, and I showed her Excel, 
And then when she asked me about my fuzzy vision for the next five years, I slipped a yawn. I was like literally yawning. And it was just like we were in the room, like a tiny room, and I'm yawning in her face. She's like, oh, where did that come from? Mm. And I, I had no idea where this uh, existential slumber that kind of like uh, rested upon me. And It's funny, though, if you asked her what her five-year plan is, she hasn't got a clue either, realistically, yeah. is she? Well, babies were part of it that I know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a very, very well, hard question to ask. I don't know what mine is. What's I don't think you should plan? know what your five-year plan is. I quite like the idea of not having a five-year plan. Mm. Do you, what do you think about that? Have I just thrown the book under it? Look, people are asking me, so you've relocated to London now. Is this forever? I'm like, fuck if I know. I only relocated back to Tel Aviv a year ago. I'm still mm. paying for the fridge I bought when I relocated to Tel Aviv. <laughs> and I'm already in a different country. Like, why make plans? Uh, open yourself up for opportunity. I think this is uh, the best strategy uh, that I had so far. It mm -hmm. was successful for me. Um, anyway, LinkedIn, three years. I realized at that point, I'm a salesperson. So I was compensated best on my ability to get people to use the platform in a sales capacity, buying ads, running successful campaigns. Um, excellent, fascinating job, but the scope is limited. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to change the world through running a LinkedIn marketing campaign. Did you have ambitions to change the world? Mm, Wait, were you probably not, yeah. but I did want to buy, you know, more expensive sneakers and have fancier holidays and go home feeling fulfilled. Mm. And the fulfillment you get in the first year or two of killing it with sales is amazing. It's unlike anything else. You're feeling like you're commercially savvy, like you're building your business acumen. It's a great feeling, but it doesn't add up goals become more aggressive and higher and you're bound to fail eventually. And what happens when you fail as a salesperson, your likelihood of getting promoted diminishes. So you're in this cycle that if you're measuring it on a one, two, three year basis, um, it doesn't look good for you. If you measure it on a longer cycle than it does, you become management, director, so there's room to evolve. But I saw my career going in a certain trajectory and staying in that position in this company meant slowing it down a little bit, which was something I wasn't prepared to do. I saw my bucket list going longer instead of shorter. Mm. I mean, what's going on? Mm. Um, it's like you're going mentally for, for shopping, for experiences, but you never get to carry out any of them. It stopped making sense. I realized um, when people were asking me, how am I doing? I, my response would be uh, based on my quota, on my quota attainment. So if I was killing it, I was 135%. Oh man, amazing. I was already thinking of my holiday in uh, six months' time. But when things weren't going so well and I was at 65 or 70 or when a deal just fell through, then my mood would be shitty. And if I became just a kind of a reflection of the work I was doing mm -hmm. um, and I was measuring my life in quarters, you know, measuring my life in quarters, which was which was insane. If someone wants to make plans with you. I'm like, ah, let's do it in Q4. <laughs> uh, like what? <laughs> like I'm your friend. I'm not your manager. Yeah, why, yeah, yeah. why are you speaking like that? Sure. And... It just kind of became all-encompassing. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it's very easy to fall into that trap. Mm. Um, but that yawn with my manager in a small room and I'm on the top of my game um, and I'm not excited about my future, it's okay not to have a plan, but at least be excited when you wake up in the morning about what it is that you're about to do. You know, mm. Not every day is a, is a roller coaster, but you know, on, 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 the, on a week level, on a month level, you should be at least moderately excited about the things you're doing in your life. Mm. Not every job will be our dream job, of course, and there's a lot of, uh, sorry for the word, but hustle and things that you have to do to get to the next point or, or, or refine skills that you don't have. But, um, you know, month after month of not waking up excited about what you do and just waiting for the next holiday wasn't the life I wanted, wasn't the life I felt I deserved. And at that point, I decided to do something. And that's something was to treat myself as I would a business problem. And that's bringing a lot of smart people into a room, articulating the problem and coming up with a solution. Wow. What, so you've gone, um, sorry, go on. What was the problem then that you were bored? You weren't being self-actualized, if that's the word. Yeah, I was growing up, uh, you know, in high school or wherever, basically, you're hearing this, uh, you have an unfulfilled potential. Mm. Or you could be doing okay. so much more with yourself. And uh, that point of fulfillment uh, never, seemed to, uh, never seemed to arrive. Um, I was really hoping to change that. Purely selfish, so I went on a very narcissistic project, which <laughs> is calling uh, 12 or 15 of my friends and asking them to give me a day of their life in which we'll treat Thank me. Thank you for... There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked them to give me a day of their life so we can uh, work on, uh, on me. Basically uh, assess my choices, my options. <laughs> what was their reaction? Some of them were, were curious. Some of them were hesitant. Some of them said... Like, I don't need a day. I can tell you what right now what's wrong with you, <laughs> which is what you want to ask, uh, hear from your friends. Yeah, yeah. But um, generally, 
once they realized I'm serious about it, they all committed. So I gathered a bunch of people who were supposed to give me a 360 degrees view of my life. So I had, a, uh, had my sister there who knows me as a, as a family member. Mm-hmm. No way you can bullshit your sister. Yeah. Um, I had an ex-girlfriend there. I had my... Uh, ex-girlfriend. Del- ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Was she a girlfriend yeah, yeah. at the time? Oh, she, she wanted revenge, so that's a great opportunity for her. <laughs> you know, to wow. tell me everything that's wrong with me in front of a room full of people. Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah. come on. That's a dream. Wow. Um, Shit in bed. Sorry. <laughs> 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 then she just walks out of the room, mic drop. You're shit shag, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, So sister ex-girlfriend. Sister ex-girlfriend, army mate, uh, a few colleagues uh, from, from past jobs. One guy who I didn't know at all, I just used to read his articles on the internet, and, which I loved. And I'm like, listen, you sound like you're someone who'll, uh, who'll enjoy such a process. So he came over. Any yeah. parents? Or? No, I thought parents would might uh, kind of tip it over the edge towards yeah, the... They uh, protect you. Yeah. Either, <laughs> pro- either protect me or, 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 yeah, exactly, rally everyone against me. Do you know, I heard this quote, which I love. There's something, I forget who it was. It's something like, No, ch- every child has the uh, the worst burden, which is living their parents' life they didn't live, or something like that. Yeah. It's the hardest burden that anyone lives, right? Yeah. You know, live my life. I, yeah. yeah. When, I, <laughs> when I started uh, going to therapy, I, I went for um, a little over a year. Uh, sorry, uh, I went for a little over a year in 2013. Best experience of my life. If you ever, if you ever considered it, do therapy. it. Yeah. What, what type of therapy? therapy? Um, what type of therapy? Uh, I don't know that there was a type. But we had a, she's a, um, I have no idea what her qualifications were, but uh, she's coming from a more of a Vipassana background, very yogi approach, very wholesome, mm-hmm. very reflective. She never once stopped me in my tracks and saying, you should do ABC. She just tried to figure out how, I'm, how am I going about things. Amazing experience. And when I was uh, bold enough to share it with my parents that I've started therapy, um, they were extremely supportive. But my dad joked and said, so did you get to the point where they're blaming everything on me? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's I'm right. like, actually, she said it's uh, coming up next week. So yeah. I'm yeah. prepared. That's Stay funny. tuned, Dad. <laughs> I like that. So do, you, do you still speak to a therapist or was that a I don't, but I should life? probably get back to it. Mm. You know? What was the trigger of interest? When she asked me, I said, oh, no trigger. I just want to look after myself because mm. I'm this kind of a guy who looks after his mental state. But once you actually sit down and you start digging through your anxieties, you realize... Fuck, there's a whole lot of triggers. Mm. Um, the breakup was one, not being able to be in a monogamous relationship without fucking it up in some way, shape, or form. Um, others, like not being, not knowing how to be together, but also not knowing how to be alone, always feeling like you should be someplace else. Mm. Um, all sorts of stuff. Like it's a, it's a, the unbundling took a year, mm. right? And at that point, I was already having uh, to pack and move someplace else. Fascinating. By a trigger, do you mean the first time? Yeah. You had to f- Google a therapist. Like, what yeah, was yeah. that? What was that first place in your I mind? was in a relationship. We were together for nearly a year. Uh, we moved in together three or four months before that. Um, we moved in not because we felt it's the right time. It's because, you know, of this whole uh, list situation. Mm. Oh, her list is up. She's moving into the city. It just makes sense. Why not? Da, da, da. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, cutting the uh, living costs in half sounded very appealing. Um, we moved in together. It was claustrophobic. It yeah, was too yeah. much, mm. too soon. I wasn't mature enough to know how to be alone next to her. I don't, th- I don't know that I, I, I figured this out. But uh, very sure. quickly, it, uh, it, um, it became a, an unhealthy relationship. Mm. At one point, I'm like, listen, uh, she goes, maybe we should go to couples therapy. I'm like, geez, 11 months <laughs> in and we should go to couples <laughs> therapy. We're, we're like two years single and we've both attempted living with our exes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's too much too early on, isn't it? You get addicted to a certain life, lifestyle and you need to be like the, the upside for a relationship needs to be so high when mm. when living alone is is so comforting and easy. and that yes. that. Anyway, so that was the trigger. She goes, let's do couples therapy. I'm like, listen, I think I'm the problem in this relationship. <laughs> uh, let it's me not go you, to, it's uh, me. <laughs> let me, let me start my process uh, and then see what happens. And um, I went, I started the process and uh, the relationship ended quickly after. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's funny. not me, it's you. Yeah. All right, so let's get on to Hack Me Thon. Hack yeah. So Thon. what was the process then? So how did this work? You get you, you people in, the, in a room and you go... 15 people. Right. I uh, closed uh, a space, like a, like a co-working space that we could do work in. And I invited them over and I've built a methodology that's supposed to, um, supposed to create some sort of a basis of common knowledge of who's the people in the room. Uh, what have I done with my life? What are the things that I want to keep doing? What are the things I would avoid? What are kind of my boundaries and red lines, mm. the things that I would not do? Um, so kind of feed that 
all in, send them on their way to chew on that, to discuss, to uh, brainstorm, to come up with all sorts of solutions. I gave them a few questions to think about. For example, what do you think is Tal's greatest success to self-fulfillment? Or when was Tal the happiest you've ever seen him? Things like that to kind of steer nice. up a conversation. And I asked for their output in one of three ways or more, which would be one is a life change. Basically saying, Oli, you are way, way, way off. Uh, you're doing this and you should be doing something completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in marketing, but you should be a teacher. You're a teacher, but you should be uh, in a rock band, whatever. Well, so that was, uh, that was one. He's always dreamed of being in a rock band. Yeah, you nailed it, man. Uh, Not teacher. What's your instrument? <laughs> uh, my voice. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so that was one. The other thing was a career change or a career breakthrough. I just can't seem to get to where I want to be professionally. What are the mm. tweaks? Who are the people I need to learn from? What's missing for my arsenal to get to where I want to be? And the last, the last one was a side project. So it could be that you have a job that you love and a trajectory that you're happy with, but you're not feeling fulfilled and you need to get some critical mass around the project you really love to get it off the ground. Mm. So the idea was that with the people in the room, I can get that critical mass. That person to help me with the business plan, the person to introduce me with my first customer to design my logo, uh, whatever it is. Um, supposed to leverage the knowledge in the room. Send them on. There was like a 10 or 11 hours long. But were they uh, working in teams or is it? Yeah, 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 they were working in teams and the hard... Five, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. And the hardest part of the day was just before I send them off to do work, I uh, hosted an ask me anything session where I'm just sitting there on a chair for an hour and I have to answer their questions and I'm not off the hook until they say I'm off the hook. See, if you ask me an uncomfortable question and I give you a bullshit answer, which I've tried, um, they will hold you accountable. What's an example of a question? For example, one of the guys asked me if I want to be the business like, you know, just be myself and uh, do, I don't know, public speaking workshops, whatever. Or do I want to start a business? Yeah, like be an entrepreneur, put myself on the backseat, but but have a brand and grow a company. And I gave him a, a, you know, a politician's answer. I'm like, oh, I'm equally passionate about both. Mm. I want to do this. I want to do that. And he's like, Tal, Tal, s- s- stop. You didn't drag me here at 6.30 in the morning to a, to a, for me to listen to some bullshit politician answer. Mm. I know you for a long while. You move a lot. You love the spotlights. I don't see you sticking around three or four years in one place to sign paychecks. So the sooner you admit it, the sooner we can give you the advice you want wow. and the advice you need. So that was one way of... Nice. Uh, yeah. Or, for example, what was a, a former manager? She's like, Tal, I just want you to know... like. Um, it sometimes feel like you care more about the, the cover of the book than the content. Mm. I'm like, okay, and nothing. I just thought you should know. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs> That's quite interesting. I, uh, I think I can relate to that. What scares you the most? You know, if I'm putting you in that situation, what scares you the most? No, un- this is such a classic answer, but genuinely not fulfilling my potential okay. is, uh, yeah. Would you able to? Would you be able to say what's the feedback that that scares you the most? What do you, you don't want to hear from people saying about you? Oh, things I've got to stop doing or or start. Like <laughs> we're just so lazy, but like anything that, that that demands effort and change in what I what I what I'm doing. Okay. Do you know what I mean? If someone yeah. goes, you've got to stop doing that thing that you really love doing. Yeah, uh, and I'll I'll find a way to be like no, but it serves me really well because da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite slippery like that yeah yeah you have you, you have you, you're living your story you're living this narrative mm-hmm. and things that uh, derail it are, are uncomfortable yes yeah 100%. how about you what scares you the most about feedback like that i actually don't like asking us answering any questions about myself anyway so that would that situation would petrify me yeah really yeah well i had like an interview the other day and i hadn't been in an interview situation for a long time and just having three people like one asked me a question, one asked me a question. Like, what do you want to do if you're like, like, like you said, like that five year plan, those sort of questions. I have no idea. I don't know what I want to do before the end of the year. Yeah. So I think it'd be, it would serve me a, a good purpose. Cause I think when you're, I'm not that confident in knowing what I'm good at. So for somebody to, I think I'd really appreciate getting the positive feedback. Um, and I wouldn't, I'm quite defeatist anyway. So for someone to tell me the stuff that I already think I'm bad about, I think in a sick way, I would like that mm. because I like to know what's at, I don't like hearing bullshit from people trying to defend me. I like to know. Yeah. I feel like I'm black and white. Like, just tell me if something's bad that you think that I'm doing constantly. Yeah. Tell me if something's good and then we can go forward. But that in the middle of people, when you sit, go to them and say you've got a problem, 
and they say, uh, no, 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 you're, you don't have a problem with that. It's like, just fucking tell me the truth. Yeah. So I think it would serve me a purpose yeah. to have the bad stuff as well as the good stuff, to be honest. It's hard to get those friends to do that because you're quite unique in that. You're almost like an uh, information masochist. Like, you'd rather hear it now. And then, mm. I, I didn't even hurt. I quite liked it. Yeah. Whereas we have so many other friends in our friendship group where if you did take that approach, it would be like an uproar. And picking and choosing what you tell people is quite a hard thing. Do yeah. I do I go through the awkwardness of being like, yeah, mate, you actually are a bit of a cunt. Yeah. Uh, or <laughs> yeah. do I just go, no, no mate, don't. It's a, don't you think you are being a bad... I think it's being a bad friend not saying the truth. But then there's... I know sometimes my perception is not always true. Depends if someone's ready to hear it or not. Yeah. And I think you were ready. You literally got everyone in the room for 12 shouldn't, hours. shouldn't, like, as a friend, shouldn't it be your duty to tell them when they need to improve something? What if or, they're not in the right mental place? Like, they're yeah. really in a bad mental what place. What do you think? That's exactly that. Like, being, if it's out of the blue and someone is trying to fix your life for you unsolicited, uh, it's, an, it's, it's offensive. Yeah. Um, but once you, once you realize that you probably don't, know it all and that there's probably something you should be you should be doing different and that you have blind spots you know as entrepreneurs you constantly have blind spots you start with an idea and all of a sudden this idea is wrapped around with all other things you need to do hiring firing business like we like blind spot we have more blind spots than than we have like spots of of clarity mm. in in many ways so what scares you about about uh, about being bullshitted by people scared me as well and I was, I'd rather hear all the things that I do bad because it feels like I'm, I already know them, so I feel like I'm right. Mm. Yeah, yeah and that's true. what surprised me the most is that uh, just being completely naked and completely vulnerable brought out softness and empathy and compassion. Mm. So one of the friends who was there for a while, he wanted to, uh, to you know, kind of like uh, straighten me out for a while. And he wasn't shy about it. He's like, oh, my God, I can't wait. Oh, my God, I can't wait. I'm yeah. going to unload everything I have on you. That's funny. And once he realized the atmosphere in the room was soft and kind of like containing, he changed his approach completely. And he calibrated to the energy that was in the room. Um, but they didn't save me the, the harsh feedback. Some feedback was like, um, tell your digital persona, he's a bit of an asshole. You know, checking in in airports, like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Like okay, so so you have some money uh, right now. Like like why 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 show it off? Like we don't want to hang out with that person. Uh, they commented about my lack of uh, presence. Like I'm with them, I'm looking at my watch. I'm never present. I'm always going someplace else, not being there for them. All sorts of things like that. Interesting. Um, how did that when you heard that? How did that feel? Make you feel? It felt accurate, and it felt surprisingly easy to change. Immediately, I cut off Facebook. I'm like fuck. This platform makes me sound like someone I'm not. You know, like in an interview, you'd say things that aren't exactly you, not the most accurate reflection. Mm -hmm. So when you're living in through this uh, shopping window where everyone is presenting the best version of themselves, when you are familiar with the worst version of yourself, it creates a huge dissonance and very alienating. Felt like I was there. So that was the first thing I did. Done. Done. What about are you using Instagram now? I am as a journaling app, mm -hmm. uh, but it's very close to being eradicated as well. Really? You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, that's like Facebook. Back yeah. when you were probably talking about it. I yeah, it, it's more of a broadcasting, keeping kind of journal, letting people know where you are and what you're about. But I think it's uh, I'm I'm a few months away from mm -hmm. getting rid of that as well. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, that was helpful and being vulnerable encouraged a lot of empathy, which was amazing. So was this a day session then? Yeah, yeah, full in one day. Okay, cool. The last part of the uh, the last part of the day was the funnest part, the most exciting part, but also the most, the scariest part where they have to pitch my life back to me. Mm -hmm. So in their groups, they have to pitch an idea. So uh, Oli, based on everything we've, uh, we've, uh, we know about you and based on the exercises, uh, this is our conclusion. This is what we think you should be doing with your life. You know? And what were the suggestions? So there were, uh, there were three groups. Um, each had something else going on. One group said basically, um, I won't go to all of them, but one group basically said, listen, you're living a you're living a, a life that you like, mm -hmm. more or less, but it's also killing you very very slowly. You haven't done, I haven't diversified my interests. For example, I haven't done anything except for setting ads for LinkedIn for three years. Mm -hmm. No side projects. Everything I did was that. I was happy with that, but there was no there was no plan B. There was no lifeboat. There was nothing nothing to bitter for me when the corporate love affair ends, which will it will end, you know, eventually, like anything else. So that was the one that resonated with me. Um, because I didn't want to go on another elaborate production. I didn't want to go on. A, I didn't want to pivot to a, to a strongly from what I was doing. 
I was living a good, comfortable life. I could see into the future. I could buy most uh, crappy things I saw on the internet. Um, so it was just tweaking it. And they suggested a side hustle. I'm like, okay, like what? Um, and one of the girls asked, she goes, what do people call you for advice on? I'm like, I don't know, career guidance, things like that. She goes, then you should come and teach for the company I work for. I'm like, what's that company? She goes, it's a, it's a school we're called Jolt. I'm like, never heard of you. And she goes, ah, we're teaching a bunch of stuff, a 21st century skills, they call it back then. Uh, we'll take you in and deliver some workshop. So I took some of the knowledge I've gained through my experience is being nothing and then building some sort of a reputation and my experience uh, with LinkedIn. And I've created a workshop called uh, Personal Branding, uh, Authentic Personal Branding, something along those lines. Three hours, taking people through how to think about their brand and what to do about it, basically giving them a checklist of things they could do um, that matches their communication style and the type of work they're doing. So personal branding is not just about the extrovert person who's constantly broadcasting. Mm. You can build an amazing personal brand as an introvert who like, takes on specific actions that help people in certain situations. Or Anyway, so that was the workshop. It More went infamous than famous. Kind of yeah. Yeah. Uh, the workshop went well. Uh, the scores were, were, were amazing. And um, for the first time in a long, long time, I felt happy. I felt like I'm giving back. I felt valuable. Wow. Uh, in the company, in an organization, you know you're valuable if you're in the director's newsletter or if you meet your targets or whatever. But in life, when the benchmarks are much more fluid, it's hard. So being in some sort of a knowledge exchange and realize that my experience benefits other people was, was priceless. So the transition between um, pitching to teaching kind of uh, unlocked a part of me that uh, you know I've gone ignoring for a long, long while. After a while, um, six months, I had a bunch of feedback on the product, on what Jolt was doing. I flew to Tel Aviv on a business trip and I sat down with the CEO, uh, Roy, and I'm like, listen, dude, uh, great company, love the idea, but uh, ABC is not working, not how it should be, da, 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 and he goes, listen, I get it, I know it, we're 12 people trying to make something really big happen. Uh, we're, it's outside of our scope, but if you're that passionate about those things, join us and, uh, and uh, let's build it together. I uh, waved my American Express card saying this thing has $6,000 uh, and it's paid for by LinkedIn. I can do more or less whatever I want. And you're offering me to work from a small co-working space without even a workstation, like off the kitchenette. And he goes, basically, yeah, but, you know, at least you'll have some impact. Mm. Uh, and I'm like, fair enough. Took me six months. Uh, in those six months, I kind of finished my affairs with LinkedIn in the best possible way, built a succession plan, wrote the book about Hackmethon, mm. kind of about my experience. I wanted to give it back to the world because a lot of people were very generous with their time and expertise with me. So I wanted to give it back. Um, launched the book the day after I signed with Jolt, relocated back to Tel Aviv. And what we're doing now is to try and help folks who live non-linear, non-structured careers and put some structure behind it, allow them to learn and gain new knowledge without mm. breaking the bank, without uh, without quitting their jobs, without start slowing down the trajectory of their careers. So that's what uh, we're about now, scaling those uh, those types of experiences. It is really interesting. I mean, I came across Joel, A, because of the paid advertising that you guys have put all over Instagram and, and LinkedIn and everything. But it is it speaks for who I am as a person. You know, I'm a recent entrepreneur, maybe with a year's experience in doing this. Yeah. I've never had to run my books. I've never had to like, you know, work on personal yeah. brand and that kind of stuff. So there are like 10 components that you look at and you go, fuck it. And you, you gravitate to the one that you find easiest and then you just let the other ones yeah. be your blind spots if yeah. you want to call them that. So I found it really interesting when we looked at, when I looked at what it was, I, I couldn't afford it straight away because it was, I forget how much it is a month. But, and it's not ridiculous, it's like 200 quid or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's even like, less, yeah. Yeah, less than 200 pounds a month for uh, unlimited sessions, you can go into, there's a, a Soho, yeah. Joel, there's a, there's a whole collection. Yeah, there's of campuses uh, all over town with more to come. Mm -hmm. The idea is basically education shouldn't be, uh, if you want to acquire education, it shouldn't slow you down. You shouldn't take on debt. You shouldn't quit your day job. You should be able to keep gaining the knowledge you need to do what you want to do mm -hmm. um, while doing it. I quite like that you call it an, an, a non-MBA MBA. Yeah. I like yeah, it's called the program is called Not an MBA. Uh, we took graduates from the twelve best business schools in the world, INSEAD, LBS, HBS, Wharton, Kellogg, and asked them to build their their dream MBA based on their experiences, both as professionals but both as graduates. And they've built a program. We looked at it. We're like, it's amazing, but it's not an MBA. Mm -hmm. And that's how we decided to call the program. What similarities do you see between the people that join Joe, the entrepreneurs that join Joe? Great question. Um, huge ambitions 
people who are living lives that, that they know they can do something huge with their lives. So that's one. Second thing is that no one has just one job these days. Everyone that is injured either um, is working full time and has a side hustle or they're building their business now. So people aren't doing, you know, it's not it's not the same story with uh, one career for a long, long while. People are doing multiple things at the time. And there's a lot more willingness to explore areas of discomfort. Like you said, you, yeah. you're, you're veering towards what's easy. But people are are um, willing to spend more time outside of their comfort zone to gain new knowledge. They realize that this is the, that type of knowledge of having done stuff um, is the most valuable knowledge there is. Mm. So it's a, it's a lot of a risk taker's mentality uh, in many regards, but it's not coming from a very, um, I don't know, kind of like a not thought out, a very uh, entitled approach, a very reckless approach. Mm. It's coming from a, a profound understanding that with the route tools and with the right um, guidance, you can really do amazing things. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you see, I found it interesting when you said in your hackmethon, someone said, uh, do you want to be a business owner? You know, yeah. somebody that builds a business or you just want to be the star of the show yeah. and have all the accolades. Do you, it's an interesting one because I think there's a lot of, we've spoken about this before, but with the rise of the social network and the app phenomenon, everybody was like, oh, I need to have a billion dollar app, which is obviously unrealistic. And Gary Vaynerchuk talks about people that think they want to be an entrepreneur. And I don't know if I, like, do you think you want to own a big business? No. I don't think, yeah, I don't I think I do, but you business. kind of, I thought I did. Do you, when you see it, Joel, the people coming in there, do you see people that just have unmet needs or do you feel like, yeah, you're actually going to build a business here. That's what you want to do. Yeah. What do you, is it a mix or? So we have a, uh, the company is built on three pillars, content, experience and network. And it answers different needs for different people. Some people would come for the content because they have a big pitch coming up and they want to refine it. Fair. Mm. Some people would come for the network. They're new in town or they're experts or whatever and they want to build a, a business network. So they come for that. Some people are just continuous learners. They want to be constantly exposed to new ideas and new people and they would come for the learning experience. So we cater for a, a relatively wide host, of a, wide host of needs. But with regards to your point about being an entrepreneur, um, I think... We've st we're starting to see the uh, the downside of entrepreneurship. You know, conversation around the health uh, costs of uh, of being an entrepreneur. Also, it's very hard to come up with really good ideas that the world needs, and it's even harder to execute them, especially when you know all of our needs are met in a, in a click away. Um, so being an entrepreneur is, is being in exile from comfort for a long, long while. It's mm. living through tremendous uncertainty for a long, long time. And it's not very appealing. So I think this is where the, the entitlement kind of uh, evaporates and people are taking a bit more strategic, more calculated. Let's build it slowly mm. and see where it goes. That's really interesting to hear that in the world of entrepreneurs because five years ago, it was like, right, get in, get funding, another round, another round, burn through the money, right? Boop, 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 we're going to grow, we're going to hire people. So many, like now, I, I, I never imagined growing a big business, but that's the point. I've looked at it and looked at the two worlds. Personally, I could grow another version of what I spent seven years in and it will be 35 people. It will be tremendous my ego because I'll have 35 people that call me boss, mm -hmm. right? But I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. And, and I would probably make X a year. The same X I would make if I just stayed on my own and hired a PA and yeah. that was that. Yeah. And I, I, pro I have so much more flexibility and I think because of, you're right, technology, everything else being a click away and the ability to then have a side hustle like this is a passion project so yeah. I've got something else. I, I think the lure and the idea and the, the um, attractiveness of becoming a big business owner is way less interesting to me or to a lot of people yeah. now than it used to be because it was the only way before. Yeah. It was like, no, you, you build it and then when you're 50, you get your money out and you get yeah. to go fucking live in Burkina Faso yeah. for a while. Like, <laughs> it's I, That to me is not exciting. I think people are much more present in their mind yeah. now being like, well, I don't want to go through all that shit just to own yeah. a business. I want to yeah. enjoy it at the same time. You could probably, like, technically, you could probably get the same self-actualization from gardening as yeah. you think that you need from building a big yeah. business. The idea of building a big business is probably just to do, yeah, like a side project. Yeah. And that could be just an unmet need doing something outside of your work. Yeah. I just want to dive in here real quick because you've got five minutes left and um, we've not asked you any wisdom questions and I feel like you've picked up a lot of wisdom in your in your time. What's a wisdom question? Brother. Well, the main, we've got the main one, which it could, no, be, not it could yet, take not five yet, minutes. No, no. He's got this stock question. We'll I've go got a stock question. Oh, no. I've got to ask. But which do you is... have any, because you talked about, I didn't expect you to go into personal branding. I didn't know that you taught personal branding. In that 
respect. Do you have any advice there? It's quite hard to just suddenly put you on the spot and ask that. Or what's a common well, mistake people make when they're trying to brand themselves personally? I'd say the first mistake would be to not communicate. Um, not communicating is a choice, uh, but it also sends a message. So if you're not out there in a super, super crowded place, someone will fill in the void and you know, you'll be ignored. So that's the one thing. Being, being consciously aware that you need to do something and, and then not doing it. So that's one. The other thing is to try and do things that, you know, they're not your strong suit or they're not, um, or they're outside of what you're trying to build. Uh, LinkedIn would encourage you. There's a LinkedIn methodology. They have uh, three things they measure, leadership, leverage, and results. Leadership is basically your visibility in the industry mm -hmm. and are you, are you a trusted advisor. Leverage would be creating resources and uh, just making more with less and then results, you know, whichever results are uh, your domain, like bringing the money or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they have these three pillars. And if what I'm doing in the leadership and leverage distracts me from results, then I'm not doing my job. You know, so if you have to figure out what matters most for the business you're building, for your happiness, for whatever it is, and make sure that the places you spend your time on are feeding into that. At one point I had, I was running Movember, if you're familiar. Mm -hmm. the, so I was running Movember in Israel. I was volunteering for a TEDx uh, production. I had the blog going on. I was still an intern in an advertising agency and I was uh, commanding the uh, Israeli Defense Forces running team. So, and I had a, I had a girlfriend which our relationship weren't really where, the, where it was supposed to be. So I, had, um, <laughs> so I had these six things happening in my life, six big things that are happening in my life simultaneously and it wore me out and it didn't add up. So all of the things I enjoy doing on their own became a liability. And also you, you enjoy them at 30%. Exactly. And then that's never full. Yeah. We've now got three minutes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm going to ask my question. Do it. Okay, tell. <clears throat> it scares me. Uh, <laughs> what's your bra size? No. Um, what? I, think, I think I can fake a B. Yeah. After, <laughs> after nice. the gym. Um, no, the question is, you've got a megaphone and you've got a room full of 21-year-old people. Uh what would you say to that room of people? Um, I would say, geez, you know what? I'm going to take a note out of Marilyn Manson's book. Oh, wow. And I would shut up and ask them what they have to say. Whoa. Okay. This sentence is not mine. Marilyn Manson said it in the documentary Bowling for Columbine. When they asked him, it's a movie about a massacre in the States, and they asked him, they, they accused him for causing the massacre. And he says, uh, and, and the, the, the um, interviewer said, what would you say to these kids if you had a chance to speak with them now after this whole thing had, uh, had happened? He goes, I wouldn't say a thing. I would just listen to them. Yeah. Wow. He's so intellectual, Marilyn Manson. You, I remember there was an interview. You expect him to not be. Yeah. But he's obviously just an act. That's just a big act. It's like the whole the gothic thing. And you hear him speaking and it's just fascinating. Do you know what's mad about that now he got Instagram? By the way, thank you. That was one of the... Yeah, it was I good. Like very intellectual. Um, now we have Instagram. That person, if he came through, you'd know that he was this intelligent person, so he just looks a bit weird. Whereas yeah. he, I'm guessing, doesn't have Instagram, where he's not like, sitting on his phone being like, hey, guys, another little like, Inspiration Monday. <laughs> like, I just imagine he's just tucked away in a little like, dungeon somewhere. You can have that person. Like, you can yeah. have like a really yeah. uh, paradoxical human being. Yeah. Have you not heard of Lil Pump? I'm not heard of Lil Pump. There's loads of these little... Rappers that well don't have Instagram. They no, just... they have Instagram, but like they're they're probably the modern day Marilyn Manson. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah, nice. Well, look, that was our little buzzer yeah. there. We're so... going to be on time for once because we get in trouble from yeah, Maz. Maz comes and knocks on the door. But Tal, I want to say thank you so much. Um, it's been a real pleasure. And if you want to find Tal, you can find him online. Uh, either on LinkedIn is quite a good way to catch you. I probably the best. Yeah, probably the best. And uh, obviously check out Jolt. We'll be tagging Jolt and everything else in here. Um, and by the book. For God's sake, watch the sales shoot up. Now. There you go. Um, there you go. I'll actually put on a, uh, I don't want to get paid for the book uh, in any way. It's already out there. I've paid for everything about it. Um, let's put a voucher called Dog Days. Um, so whoever downloads the book with Dog Days code um, will get it for free. Wow. Legend. Legend. Free stuff. You hear that? Free stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. You've Tom. been accused of not giving anything to our listeners, but yeah, there you go. There you go. You can take that. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at Dog Days Pod. Leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next week.